What do we know about our Irish history? We can all name some events, some people, that were instrumental in forming the Ireland we see around us today. But do we actually know the people behind our Ireland? When we think about the major things that have shaped Ireland, culturally and politically, we are inclined to think of men like James Joyce, William Butler Yeats, Porrick Pierce and Michael Collins. These men changed Ireland in ways that have been recounted thousands of times. But there are people who remain shrouded by time and the fame of men who instituted these changes. There are so many women in Irish history. This dramatic piece will introduce two of these women to you. Their names are Nora Barnacle and Eva Gorbuth. These two women had enormous impacts on the literary and political movements in Ireland in so many different ways. By now, they have been mostly forgotten. Remembered through their more famous relations fading into the ever murky past of our history. But these two women deserve to be known, not by their pseudonyms or their labels or their families. They deserve to be known for themselves. Letter one. Eva Gorbuth to Nora Barnacle, 24th of July, 1917. Dearest Nora, I am writing again to let you know that Con has been released from Aylesbury, having been detained there since last summer. She will stay with Esther and I for a few days before we escort her back to Ireland. I imagine she will soon find herself in trouble again, but we are glad her time in Aylesbury is over. It has taken great work on our part to have her released, but it is work I have been glad to undertake. She was released mostly on the part of her sex. A rather ridiculous pardon, but I make no complaints. My dear sister is needed back in Ireland. She will be much more useful in this form than many other. She is unpopular here, as I have made myself as well. The people have been strangely unsympathetic and misunderstanding about her, putting down the absurd notion such as a mad desire to kill soldiers, which makes me laugh when I think her universally friendly nature. Eva's sister, Constance Markovich, was arrested and jailed after the events of the Easter Rising in 1916. She was imprisoned in Kilmainham Jail and transferred a number of times, eventually ending up in Aylesbury Prison in England in July of the same year. Eva and her partner Esther raced to Dublin about a week after the Rising to ensure Markovich's safety and protest her imprisonment. The resemblance between the sisters was so uncanny, it was a major concern Eva would be shot in error. She went anyway. Constance was released from Aylesbury in June of 1917. We do enjoy having her here. I have been somewhat inclined to nostalgia and her presence brings an air of home. I do not miss our girlhood, rather the time we spent there. Our younger years were so at odds to the rest of our community that I cannot think of them now. The days I recall most are the early days of politics and the days we spent making things together. Calm would illustrate my little poems. I need not remind you of the painting she drew me wearing trousers. You mention it often enough. 
Eva and Constance spent their early years in luxury at Lissadell House in Sligo, born into a wealthy aristocratic family. They learned poetry and Latin and painted. However, their immediate family was generous and imprinted on them the need to help others less fortunate, and Eva later rejected her aristocratic background in order to embrace ordinary life. They learned stories and rituals from their less fortunate community, both of which became huge influences on Eva in her writings and work. Constance often illustrated Eva's writing, but also made many sketches for fun. One such sketch is of Eva dressed in an elaborate Victorian jacket and a pair of trousers, a sisterly tease at Eva's lesbianism. I must also update you on the endeavour we began last year. Two issues of our journal, Urania, have been circulated. We have decided to keep the journal private and circulate it only among friends. It is possible we should lose support if we were to be public. I sense the world is not ready for us publicly to denounce the idea of sex. I need not remind you of the free mums tobacco. I have, however attached, a copy of our most recent edition for you to read at your leisure with this letter. I believe you will be inclined to enjoy it, though I cannot say how Joyce may respond. Urania was a private journal set up by a group of women led by Eva. The goal of the journal was to pursue equality, as well as to debate the nature of gender, among many other things. The ideas expressed in the journal were far ahead of the rest of society, which is why it was not publicly circulated. A previous journal Eva was involved with, Free Woman, was banned by almost all booksellers after only a few issues. Urania continued in publication until 1940, 14 years after Eva's death. Thus far, our endeavour for suffrage has gone well here in Manchester, although it stalled for a while after return from Ireland last summer. Our pursuit to assist Roger consumed much of our time. I felt as though I have known the man all my life and was bound to assist in all manners I could. Esther and I mourn the man deeply. The response to the circulation of his private diary still lingers, though we don't believe they were truly his. It's difficult to see my love distraught and to see the world refute the idea of someone such as ourselves. I am writing for it. I will send you some more with the next letter. Eva and Esther were major advocates for the suffragette movement in Manchester, and they were both thoroughly dedicated to the cause. Their work on this seems to have stalled slightly in 1916 with the aftermath of the Easter Rising. Eva acted as an advocate for Roger Casement, who was arrested, detained and killed by the British forces for his part in the Rising, although she did not meet him until his trial. She dedicated much of her time to defending him at this time. She and Esther were appalled at the British forces, who published what has been known as his Black Diaries, which contained explicit references to homosexual relations between Casement and other young men. It is still not known whether the diaries were actually penned by Casement or simply published under his name to undermine support for him. I am glad you did not see the Ireland of only last year. I know you do not feel the draw to Ireland, I do, but there is no soul who would have been able to face the broken ruins of Dublin without tears. She has faced an endless procession of soldiers with every kind of weapon, always on the same errand, to conquer, 
hold down the country. Seeing the people so distraught brought great distress to me and I cannot escape the scenes of that week. I know you do not often engage in politics of the world, but your Joyce knew Skeffy. His murder caused great distress among all in Dublin. Yet, I assure you, Hannah has faced it all fearlessly. Eva did not like to see anyone, but particularly the people of her home, in pain. She was incredibly empathetic and found it difficult to watch others experience hardship. Frances Sheehy Scaffington's murder was particularly difficult for Eva, her sister and the rest of Dublin. He did not believe in fighting, but was held by British forces on account of his political sensibilities and then murdered. Hannah, his wife, was a good friend of Eva's and often campaigned alongside her. They both fought for justice in the aftermath of her husband's murder. I hope you are well in Zurich. I heard of Joyce's recent difficulties. Please send him our well wishes. I pray he recovers quickly. Once it is again possible, we would be delighted for you to join us here in Manchester for a while. Warmest regards, Eva. P.S. I have been drawing up everyone's astrological charts. If you would like to send me a few details, I can make one up for you also. Emmeline was very interested. Eva was deeply spiritual, interested in astrology and the occult, and while not Catholic, she often wrote of God and the Bible. She wrote up astrology charts for her friends and fellow activists, including the famed Emmeline Pankhurst, mother of her friend Christabel Pankhurst. Nora Barnacle, partner of James Joyce, had her own struggles in 1917. Joyce had several attacks of glaucoma that year, meaning she had to drop everything to become his personal secretary on several occasions. Letter 2. Nora Barnacle to Eva Gorbuth, 24th of October, 1917. Dear Eva, thanks for your last letter. Apologies for my slow response. We've moved again from Zurich to Locarno for a while, so I don't know if you've sent me anything more recently. I've included the new address with this one. Jim has had bouts of illness, as you know, but they got much worse in August, so things have been difficult. He collapsed three times in only a few days after returning from hospital. Having already suffered earlier in the year, Joyce had a strike of glaucoma in August 1917 that demanded immediate surgery, while Nora and their two children were seeking respite in Italy. They rushed to his bedside and after returning from hospital he suffered bouts of fainting and collapsed throughout October. The family all moved to Locarno in Italy so they could seek respite together. This trip was to prove incredibly difficult and stressful for Nora. He's not speaking to me and he's still so busy writing that blasted book Ulysses. I'm sure he's out seeking company from his women students. He's intolerable at the moment and I've been having a touch of nerves. My hair has been falling out. The man would be the death of me. Nora and her family were deeply affected by the writing of Joyce's Ulysses. Much of their lives were transposed into his writings, and Nora was particularly victim to this. Many of Joyce's female characters reflect the way he viewed Nora at the time of writing, and she was a source of inspiration for him throughout their relationship. He seemed to model the final chapter of Ulysses in particular on Nora and her style of writing. Nora's partner withdrew into his work, 
and with new surroundings and her children in school, this was a particularly difficult time. Lucia has not seemed herself either. We're not sure why. She's been very forgetful, but perhaps it's just because she's young, though I am quite worried about her. I had hoped a change of place would be good for her, but she seems to be the worse for it. This was the first time Nora and Joyce began to see their daughter experiencing difficulties. She would later be institutionalised for suspected schizophrenia until her death in 1982. Nora could not have known this in 1917 with Lucia aged only 10, but she surely saw the beginnings of what was to be a major source of heartbreak in her life. I loved your journal. Please send the next one once you've finished it. Our Catherine is so brilliant. Please let her know how much I liked her writing in it. Speaking of that picture by Khan, I think you should write on cross-dressing. Myself and Mary used to run round Air Square and Shop Street in our men's suits and hats. It was awfully liberating. And I still don't know why it shouldn't be allowed for women to wear trousers. Catherine Tynan was another brilliant Irish writer, a friend of Eva's who was involved with the writing of Urania on several occasions. Nora had her own ideas about gender, at the time considered radical. On several occasions in her youth, she would dress in men's clothing with her friend Mary O'Halloran and explore Galway's streets at night to escape Nora's uncle, Tommy. At the time, cross-dressing was no light matter, but the girls got away with it to the point of seeing Tommy and being unrecognisable. I do miss Galway. I remember hearing of you and everything happening in Sligo. I miss mostly the food and the pleasantries of knowing your neighbours. Certainly visiting Galway with the children and Jim is one of my fondest memories. We got to see my mother and visit the beach and, of course, had wonderful Irish food. Eva would have been known in Galway for setting up the Irish Women's Suffrage and Local Government Association in Sligo in 1896, when Nora was 12. Nora was not often nostalgic for her circumstances in Ireland, but rather homesick for her culture. She had visited her mother in Galway with Joyce and their children only six years prior and was in contact fairly regularly with her mother after this point. I'm glad to hear that the suffrage is going well and I wish I could attend with you. Perhaps if this stupid war ends, I will manage to visit you and perhaps even go with you to a march. Though I don't know how Jim would respond to me attending a march. Though we both adore Harriet and she's such an advocate, he couldn't disagree with her. I must go off now. Please write soon. Nora. Harriet Shaw Weaver was a strong advocate in the English women's suffrage movement and was an enormous contributor to Nora and Joyce. They both thought of her as a dear family member and her political movements could well have influenced them. <laughs> 